Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg. And this is Fred. Uh, no, you're Fred. This is Chris Jackson. Um, <laughs> more coffee, Chris. More coffee. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we're talking today. We're answering another question from one of our listeners, and that deals with this term called the failure rate. That's right. And so it was... Um, so I'm not going to provide a name because it was like, I'm a little embarrassed to get this, but I just... <laughs> I just it, Really, I'm trying to figure out, you know, I was kind of working through some data and did a, a Weibull regression and uh, worked out the CDF numbers and worked out the the reliability numbers over different time frame and, and how many failures they were expected to get and a bunch of other stuff. And he was trying to work out all these ones. And then he got the hazard rate and he goes, well, is that the same as the failure rate? And which failure rate? And, and I'm like, hmm, yeah, let's unravel this a little bit because I'm guilty of using hazard rate and failure rate interchangeably. And I don't think I, and I know I'm not technically correct, uh, but in all circumstances in that one, there's lots of stuff in reliability that, yeah, there's a difference, but I don't care. Uh, but that's just me. But so I thought I'd ask you, because you do these and now we need the random hand of failure, you know, <laughs> bouncing balls and stuff like that. But if, let me see if I got this right. There's a hazard function. It's you if you know the the eta and beta for a Weibull distribution, you can create a cumulative distribution function and figure out probability of of failures over time. Pretty straightforward. And if you one minus that function, you end up with a reliability function and you can figure out what's the probability of success going over time for each moment in time. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to do a senior moment here. There's a hazard function, CDF. Um, oh, PDF that looks like a histogram in ish kind of application. Uh, and it's useful for seeing what's the, how skewed the data is and all this other kinds of stuff. Is it bell shaped or not? The stuff like that. And then the fourth function, and I think there's some distributions that have like seven or eight functions, which get kind of crazy. But the fourth one that we're interested in today is the hazard function, which provides the a function that does that when you plug in time, it gives you the instantaneous failure rate. I believe that's right, but I'm not sure because there's also like a yeah. And there's another type of hazard function, but it's different. That's right. I mean, the the, the problem is is that um, the, there are there is not broad, unambiguous agreement on what the definition of the failure rate is. I mean, some organisations look at the failure rate as a percentage of things that fail within warranty periods. They often use that as a very in-house term. You don't see that in too many textbooks. But the hazard rate and failure rates are interesting terms, and they can often be used interchangeably. Um, so. The, the failure rate is often simply seen as the rate at which failures occur. Well, that's cool. Um, and the hazard rate is has a slightly more specific definition, which is the rate at which uh, failures occur uh, of surviving uh, based on surviving machines. So, for example, um, 
the hazard rate might be relatively high, even though you only have a small number of small number of uh, machines left. And I think the best example or to explain the concept is that of human beings. We understand that the older you get, the uh, harder it is to survive each day. Um, it's uh, it, your body becomes weaker and more susceptible to injuries and disease and everything else. And so if you think about the rate at which humans are, are dying, I mean, uh, the hazard rate for people who are 100 years old plus is obviously a lot higher than people who are 20 years old just because a 20-year-old has a much stronger, more resilient, more robust body. Um, but then the failure rate, which is the rate at which failures are occurring, well, if you look at deaths on a daily basis, there aren't that many 100-plus people dying out of the total number or total number of people who die on, on any given day. And the reason being is that precious few people actually live to be 100 years plus. So you've got this uh, contrasting uh, view where, yes, you'd expect that people who are very old to be more likely to die on any given day. But when you look at the total number of people who die on every given day, the number of people who are really, I mean, really old, older than 100, it's very low because there's not that many people who get that, get that high. And so the failure rate is often analogous to the um, the, the, the number, number of old people dying on a particular day, where the hazard rate is often analogous to, if you well, if you had 100 really old people and you compared them to 100 really young people, you'd expect more people of those, more of those 100 really old people to die compared to those 100 very young people. Um, and so the failure rate gets gets con, uh, confused again when we talk about uh, repairable systems because then the hazard rate and the failure rate are often synonymous. Uh, if you repair something, you're always immediately replacing with with, uh, with a similar piece of piece of equipment or a similar bearing or gasket or what have you. Mm -hmm. So technically, the definition, as I understand it, for a hazard rate is the rate at which something things are failing. Think the rate at which 100-year-old people are dying on any given day, where the failure rate is actually based on context. Is your system repairable? If the system's repairable, then it essentially becomes the uh, um, uh, the, the failure rate becomes equal to the hazard rate because you never allow your system to die because you keep repairing it, keep replacing it. Um, and so the failure rate, when you have a non-repairable system, some people see it as essentially the height of the bell curve which is uh, the rate at which things are failing at particular t uh, times to failure. And of course, you'll have precious few things that are really, really old failing because it's hard to be really, really old, hard to survive that long, even though if you somehow manage to be really old, you're more likely to, to, uh, to fail on any given day. So I tend to use the hazard rate just to be, I suppose, more technically correct but i've seen people use the failure rate interchangeably with hazard rate i've seen actually precious few people use the failure rate in terms of the uh to represent the height of the bell curve the the uh, total number of people uh, really old people dying on each day um so yeah it's just one of those things where statisticians have not done a particularly good job of, of making unambiguous definitions <laughs> well, I don't think it's the statistician's fault. It's, it's the, the basic calculator allows us to accumulate how many units we've shipped and divide it by the number of failures we have or vice versa. And a very simple estimate of an average failure rate, which is, I've always looked at that as being an increasingly poor metric, is if I ship 10 units this week, 
and I calculate my average failure rate and I ship 10 more units. And now I don't take into account how old they are. I just have 20 units available to fail and I take the average. I'm kind of masking some of the important information. Um, and the, it gets worse and worse the longer you do it. And eventually my failure rate just kind of is unchangeable by the those first 10 units that are finally failing. I just can't see that anymore because I'm washing over it with a great big average of a lot younger units. And that age idea of the human pop, you know, aging is when there's the baby boomers were creating lots and lots of kids, you know, the average failure rate actually looked really, really good because the bulk of the population was pretty young you know, kind of problem. And I tried to explain that to a whole bunch of people and they go, well, that's okay. We annualize it. Okay. Uh, I don't, that's really not helping. <laughs> you know, you're, you're able to compare this to that, but you're not taking into account how old your units are. And do you, and they say, well, we don't have a wear out problem. We just ship more units. And I, okay. Um, and the one that was the worst was their, had a two-year warranty and about 18 months, all of them failed. And so they would replace them all. And then when they do the grand average type stuff, they thought, oh, we're fine. They're doing hundred percent replacement. And they thought they were good. You know? Right. Okay. So I, that's where I, and then I see people doing these average failure rates and then they plot every month, they plot their average failure rate without taking into account the ages of these things and how many they're shipping and so on. And, and I showed one team is that that metric will fluctuate more on how many units you ship than how many are actually failing. And, oh, you're right. We, what we see a seasonal difference in that, you know, we ramp up for the holiday season we ship a lot of units and then our failure rates go really low. It's really great. We think we've gotten on a great job. And then they all got unpackaged and put into service at Christmas. And then our failure rate goes through the roof and we're not shipping anymore. Well, that's a basic problem with the metric and it's not the mass fault. It's what you're trying to do. So if you actually take a look at the time to failures and plot a hazard function, you would have way more informative information on what's going on with your, with your product. And they're like, Oh, their eyes rolled back in their head. They didn't want to deal with statistics. Nice. Well, they do. They want the statistic that makes them feel good, which is the spring artificially low number which is masquerading as a failure rate but makes them feel good about themselves so mm -hmm. they like statistics as long as it just makes them feel good yeah, there's that yeah but the idea is that i in one of the terms and i know you've heard this before oh well we're just going to assume it's a constant hazard rate or it, it is a constant hazard rate or it's in the flat part of the curve ah uh, the flat part of the curve uh mythical beast that it that it is but that's often the only time I hear some companies, some clients I've worked with talk about hazard functions or hazard rate. We say, well, it's constant. I, hmm. Have you plotted the hazard function? Oh, no, no. We just do the average failure rate. And that, that proves that it's, it's only a single number. So it's constant. I'm like, okay, let's, mm -hmm. you need to listen to yourself a little closer. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I could do the same thing with engines of cars. I could find a single number that represents, on average, how long each one of those lasts before they fail. Um, 
that doesn't mean you should never change the oil. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so the, part of, I think the question was genuine. Yeah. And, and, it, and it, there are, like you said, hazard rate and failure rate are related. They're not exactly the same thing in all circumstances. Yet what I find is that when you start doing an average failure rate or over this time period failure rate or a rolling average failure rate or an annualized failure rate, be very careful about the sensitivity to the number of units in service and how old they are and what are you trying to track or monitor? What are you looking for? I think we say it all the time, don't we, Chris? Is what are you, what, why are you bothering with this number? What's the decision you're working on? And I find so many metrics that we tally up and we put on a spreadsheet someplace or on a board or on a PowerPoint slide and we track it over time. And it's like, why are you tracking that? We were looking for, for problems. Has this chart ever revealed an issue that you had to go do something with? And is it sensitive to this? Is it sensitive to that? Is it sensitive to, you know, do you find that when you don't have your call center in operation over the weekend, that on Monday you have more calls? Oh, how'd you know? It's <laughs> like, well, take a look at, you know, what you're trying to do and, and do is a quick hypothetical. If the failure rate jumped 10%, how long before you would even detect it? And is that, is there a better way in, so that's, that's a whole different discussion to getting into metrics and what do you track and don't track and for what's good for different reasons. Hey, that might actually be a good project. So what are you doing yeah. later today, Chris? You want to write a paper? <laughs> <laughs> Always, as you know, yeah. but um, yeah. <laughs> there's a, uh, that's not true. That's a, that's a shambolic lie. But um, yeah, again, it comes out the decision you're trying to inform. And in, in, look, if, if people, you know, People want sometimes to have the visage they're taking it seriously. So they take look at get people like you and bring him in, bring you in and say, Hey, well, it looks like most of your things or hundred percent of your things are falling in the warranty period, but um they're not going to show this. And even if they understand it, they go, but the number we have been worshipping for 10 years is arbitrarily good. It then you you understand that people their default position is to not change, not do anything. That's not uncommon. Yep. But um, if you're not comfortable being uncomfortable, then you're not going to be doing too many profound things in the world of reliability. Or even minor things to continuously make improvement. It's, I think, one of my favorite quotes. And it's a really good client. We, we had a lot of fun and made a lot of progress in, in improving their systems reliability through the project. Yet early on, they were using MTBF for their system. And it was, granted, it was a very complex device that did just miraculous type stuff and they used I, I don't remember the exact numbers but let's say it was a hundred hour mtbf just to put a number on it and i said you know that what that really means is that you should expect two-thirds of your system if everything is true and that number is you know a constant failure rate and everything else that makes i can translate that to reliability and that means that two-thirds of your units are going to fail you know, within so many, 30 hours or something like that, or whatever the numbers were. And they go, well, the, your actual reliability is somewhere around 30% for that time period that you're interested in. And they said, well, that doesn't sound very good. Let's use MTBF. That sounds better. Anyway, <laughs> just proving your point. Yeah. They wanted one that made them feel good. Yeah. yeah. 
not informing what they were doing. Uh, but they moved off of that. They moved into actually tracking time to failure distributions. They had all kinds of great data. They just just needed a little help revealing it, figuring out what to do with it. And so it ended up being a good story. But yeah, the first one was, well, that doesn't sound good. Well, no. that's what you're doing. It's yeah. and yeah, I mean, you get you get convinced. It's almost like a religion sometimes. It's just it's very hard for you to challenge the on the belief systems that you you have, especially if you know if your if your company's not bankrupt per se. I mean, it's 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 making a profit. Then, but we've used MTBF forever. That's cool. Um, yeah, yeah. No, there's yeah. No, it. Um, there's hope. There, there are bright spots out there that people are asking questions. What is the difference of these two terms? And you know, and, and that question. It is a good question. And it's the, really the first start is you got to recognize that. Oh, wait a second. Let me dig into this a little deeper. Let me, what's under the surface here? So, yeah, if you're listening to this and got one of those questions, you know, I always thought about this, or I, how do I check if this metric's any good or not, or whatever is on your mind uh, related to reliability. Um, I don't know. I haven't talked to Kirk in a while. If He probably has a broken blender. So if you've got a problem with a blender, we'll get Kirk to, to talk about that because they go through a lot of them. But head over to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR. And a couple of ways to get in touch with us there. Um, be, we got two questions just this week. Chris and I addressed them in the in these, this episode and the previous one. Uh, why don't you get your question out of the air at one of our future shows? And you can get a hold of Chris or I directly through uh, LinkedIn or through our About pages. And we'd love to hear from you. Um, when we get you an answer as quick as we can, and hopefully make you can make some progress on solving that or moving forward, whatever that is. And two is it gives us fodder to one, know that we have actually have listeners and two, that we, we got questions that are of interest to you in, the, in our audience. So please do let us know. So, so with, with that, Chris, anything else? I think we're good, Fred. All right, good. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show, please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.